Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner and I am so excited to share this podcast with Garnet Dupuis. We're going to be talking all about how to change a brain that resists changing. Garnet Dupuis is a dedicated professional in the field of integrative and complementary wellness. He's been involved in the exploration of light, sound, and consciousness since 1970 when he was studying at the University in Canada at the beginning of the human potential movement. Currently, he serves as the co-founder and the co-CEO of Brain Prime Technology in Singapore and the chief creative officer and co-founder of Lucid Studios in Thailand, a company specializing in the development of neuro-reality devices known as neurovisor instruments designed to stimulate and enhance positive neuroplastic changes in the brain. I really learned a lot from Garnet. I've been using a neurovisor myself and it feels like something I've never experienced before. It almost feels like a massage for my brain and third eye and it's a deeply receptive state that you find yourself in after you've gone through a session in the neurovisor. So Garnet is brilliant with his wisdom and his ability to share complex topics about how to really create change in the brain. I hope you enjoy our podcast. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner and I'm here today with Garnet Dupuis and we're going to be talking all about how to change a brain that resists changing. Welcome Garnet. I'm so excited to do this interview with you. Thank you, Dr. Christine. I'm happy. I like it. Let's talk. We don't have too much time. I know. I know we can really talk all day. And just a little bit, I, I don't know if you know how I got a hold of this brilliant creation of yours, the Neurovisor. Did I it was, arrive on a comment? I sent a few yeah, over from China. Yeah, I, I don't I, know where they hit. You know? Yeah, I, I think I got you know that message. So I was at a biohacking conference in okay. September of last year. And yeah. I, was, I was hanging out with the doctor vibe people who have the vibration of bed that's really cool mm-hmm. and some of the you know group there there was another man i don't know who he was he had your neurovisor and he okay. was being on your neurovisor on a bunch of people mm-hmm. i just had that spidey sense like i don't know what that is but that looks incredible mm-hmm. i have had experience with the ajna light but one of my friends has an ajna light you know i, I do a lot of light and sound and color therapy already Mm -hmm. in my office. Mm -hmm. A lot of people come to me for neurological diseases. So I was just like, I don't know, but that that works and I need to know about this. And you know, life happens and I found out that Dr. Don mm-hmm. is working with you and we had mm-hmm. kind of a past life together where we were at the same trainings and everything. And I mm-hmm. I texted her and it just took a minute for us all to connect and we had this beautiful connection and I was able to try out the neurovisor and get one and I have just been really intrigued. I'm still mm-hmm. Three months, three months in of exploring it on my own brain, <laughs> and mm-hmm. also, Good idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also sharing it with my patients. So mm-hmm. it's unlike anything I've explored. I'm like into meditation and all mm-hmm. that. Stuff. I'm, I'm still very much a novice, but I, mm-hmm. I'm so excited to share this with our audience and really just understand what are we doing with this beautiful technology and all the good stuff. So I just wanted to tell you how I, I found it. I don't know okay. if. You- Sorry. No, I didn't know. No. So let's just walk the audience through. Like, I mean, you have an incredible career, incredible. Mm, whatever. Knowledge. That's good. But, yeah. yeah. But how did you get really focused on how we can change the brain? Well, a lifelong interest from my earliest memory and consciousness, you know, lifelong meditator in different traditions. I'm a traditionalist. Then I'll just skip over like a whole bunch of decades to the fact that technology has been advancing. And things are possible now that weren't possible before. So biggest news the last 10, 15 years neurologically is the adult human brain is still capable of positive adaptive change, is stimulated in the right way. So, you know, I've been in this kind of industry for many decades, going back to the human potential movement. So I was familiar with a lot of the fundamental concepts like brain entrainment, the idea of light and sound. If you understand brain entrainment, you understand it's not very good for neuroplastic change. Mm-hmm. It's good for stabilizing the brain. So skip, skip, skip. I decided to combine different validated concepts and systems into an integrated model. So mm-hmm. what I do and did is based on, you know, is it based on science? Yes. If you know about sensory enrichment, if you know about neuroplastic 
motivation. And, and if you put those things together, it's like, well, wait a minute, we can do something here that is unique. We know scientifically the brain will change if it has the right stimulation and so and so. So I call this thing brain engagement mm -hmm. as, uh, as to give it a term to differentiate it from brain entrainment. Brain entrainment is fundamentally a top-down process as is guided imagery. Brain engagement has to be bottom up. It has to be novel and unique. So in brain engagement, you've got to get the brain's attention and you have to give it a little bit of demand. And there, there are very functional, reasonable, very logical kinds of sequences that you put them together and it begins to work. And the more that it works, the more I've learned about it. So it's a progressive process. This very short bumper sticker could be its brain exercise designed as entertainment. Mm. That's not exactly true, but it's true enough to, to say, okay, well, we know everything you've learned about somatic exercise is basically true about the brain because the brain is physical. Mm -hmm. Right. So I use light and sound in novel ways, controllable ways, and in different categories to help the brain change in positive ways. Because if you don't adapt, you're in trouble. So whether you call it change or adaptation or grow or learn or whatever you want to call it, we want our brain to keep doing that as best as possible. And that's my target. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having a lifelong journey for you to be able to. <laughs> I'm happy I'm still alive. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah, no, we can start you. there. I know, I know, right? And I'm sure we should all study your brain, right? No, 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 please don't. <laughs> That's where all the skeletons are. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, this idea of changing the brain, let's get a little granular. Like, is this... Yeah. You know, we know about neuroplasticity, you know, okay. <laughs> we know about, you know, when I was in school, I think we still didn't know that you can create new neurons, right? Yeah. Neurogenesis, so yeah. That was kind of still new. I mean, I, I've been really into educating people about the glymphatic system because that mm -hmm. is kind of my jam. So that yeah. was that's a new discovery, right? You know, biophoton emissions, right? And, you know, neuronal connections through all you know, the amount that we don't know as yeah. a measure of what we're learning scares me sometimes. Really? Totally. <laughs> I, I go down these rabbit holes and I do these lectures and the moment uh -huh. I'm done with it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm missing so much. I need to, yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's so much knowledge there. So, so okay, I'm going to jump, I'm going to nail a couple things for you. Because uh, I, I, I have a feeling I know where you're going and I respect your time Thank and you. the listener's time. The brain changes what matters. That That's a fundamental slogan that is true. So the desire for change is not enough because once you know, either because of suffering that you want to decrease or pleasure that you want to increase, we've got aversion and we have attraction. These are the two poles of motivation. For some reason, you end up knowing that something has to change. You know, if you want things to be different, you're going to have to change. You can't have things be different and then change because it's comfortable. So it's not the issue of the desire for change, although it's involved, motivation. The question is, how? Now that I know I need to change, how do I change? Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the captivating element because we have to understand that within our brain, there is constant competition. Oh. Because the old brain, I won't get too technical, the old brain is the bottom-up source of experience, sensory-based, in the moment. Bottom-up only knows the present. Mm. It has no sense of anything else. The newer brain, the neocortex, uses that flow of information to create reference, uh, a library, patterns, mm. on experience. And it has this library of past experience and then uses it to project to future experience, mm -hmm. predictions. And we need this, otherwise we'd all be completely nuts. But yeah. you know, right now we're using that new brain. The thing about the new brain is that it only knows the past and projects to the future. It has no way of accessing the present moment. Mm -hmm. None. So mm -hmm. you know, when we do things, we're always predicting 
you know, our perceptions are modeled. We have a confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, we want we want our perceptions and actions to be validated. Like when I, I step down, I have these progressive lenses, right? I'm still learning how to use them because, mm-hmm. you know, the low part is for reading, the upper part is for distance. Well, when I'm walking downstairs, I look down, but I look down through the lower lens. So where I think I see the step is actually false because it's not really there. So that's called a prediction error, right? right? So what's the competition? The competition in our brain, blood, let's use that as an analogy. We only have enough blood to do certain things at certain times. We don't have enough blood to do everything at one time. Blood is allocated according to metabolic demand. It's Mm -hmm. shared. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough metabolic resource in the brain to do everything we want at the same time. So like blood is allocated, metabolic, we'll call it energy, the energy in the brain, you know, not like cosmic, although who knows, but that metabolic resource is also allocated and shared. So there's a competition. Part of that competition is the fact that old patterns, proven patterns that might be right or wrong, but patterns require energy to remain stable and enduring. Mm-hmm. So they eat energy to stay what they are. Adaptive change requires a disassembling of that pattern to make a new pattern. You can't go directly from an old pattern to a new pattern. There's a process. So in the brain, there is this constant trial and error and a kind of tug of war. And I am incredibly fascinated by the lead of how do you change your brain that resists changing. And this goes right back to William James 120 years ago. I mean, such a brilliant forecaster. You know, he he says about plasticity was that first term. He says, I'm trying to remember, I'll paraphrase, that the system must be weak enough. Maybe the words are funny, right? The system might be, must be weak enough to allow change, but strong enough to not do it all at one time. So uh, this is the game with with the neurovisor and brain engagement. And most recently, I'll talk about it because I've I've done brand new sessions that haven't been released yet based on EMDR and rigid patterns and all these things. So you know what it's like to have a habit, Mm -hmm. whether it's good or whether it's bad. Mm -hmm. Generally, they're hard to change. And uh, there's a process that has to go on. Quick analogy. I'm trying to like... This thing. Yeah, no, you're doing great. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So let's say you got honey and a whole bunch of toothpicks, and you lay the honey out in the plate and you put the toothpicks in a certain pattern. You put it in the refrigerator, right? Honey gets hard. And you take it out. You say, oh, okay, now I want to change the pattern of the toothpicks. Well, you can't because they're rigidly stabilized in the hard honey. So what do you have to do? The first thing is you have to soften the honey. You have to warm it up. Then you can begin to move the toothpicks around. And this is the thing that in neurological change and neuroplastic change, you know, state, short-term, trait, long-term, it becomes a losing battle if you confront that habituation head-on with effort or force or concentration, call it whatever you want, without taking it through that softening the glue phase. That is one of the key, key, key elements that why many processes are difficult, why they can be so stubborn. Like if I'm laying on my right side, I use this analogy all the time. So if it's in another podcast, I apologize. Oh, so good. You know, you're laying in bed. I like to lay on my side. I'm one of those guys, right? So I'm laying on my right side. I've got the pillow. It's like, excellent weirdly well not really but weirdly it starts to get uncomfortable after a while i want to lay in my left side i can't go directly from my right side to my left side i have to do this thing called rolling over and rolling over you know it's called deterministic chaos i know what i want to do generally and i start to do it but there's a lot of unpredictability in it that my foot gets caught in the blanket and the pillow moves and like the stupid thing falls off the bed it's like i shouldn't been you know and i go through this thing and then I'm on my left side, but you know, pillow got to be up, and and then I'm there. So it's this process 
of uncertainty. We have to leave certainty behind, mm -hmm. explore and experience some degree of disorder or uncertainty or entropy, whatever you want to call it, exploration. Mm -hmm. There has to be an open-mindedness. The brain itself has to yield some of its preferred order and habit and belief so that this process, which is innately having some amount of risk, actually then succeeds with me on my left side and I'm happy again. This is this issue of the abandoning of a certain amount of predictable order. Mm. So that discovery can take place that then informs the new order. And mm -hmm. it's this process, it, like a neurofeedback practitioners oftentimes bump into these so-called rigid patterns. Like they're stuck in alpha and you could put a gun to their head and have them breathe deep or do anything you want, they're stuck. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it's just a very solid reinforced habituation. and. It's been there so long, or they go there so often, they can't simply change out of desire. Mm -hmm. Something has to happen. Yeah. Right? The other class, because these are the two main things. One is habituation that's been reinforced, because we all want our view of reality to be true. Yes. Right? Yeah. And we'll fight for that. Yeah. Subtly and clumsily, we'll fight for our belief. Because it can be belief, habit, behavior. They're all the different elements. But it's the same thing because it's all neurological. Mm -hmm. The other one is the traumatic past. Mm -hmm. And the way that bottom-up stuff comes in and it's like, it's horrible. Something happens. And the top, the neocortex, the top-down registers that. So... Now, it's more than just a habitual bias. The, the, the security guard kind of halfway between the, you know, these two poles, which are harmonious, the security guard says, wait a minute, that reminds me of that trauma. And the system goes into lockdown. Yeah. There's no way for the present to disprove what the top-down cortex pattern is cautious and afraid to change. Better safe than sorry. So how can we calm down the security guard to get some new information? You know, the EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. I've studied it uh, some good deal. There's new proposals uh, theoretically. So I created sessions based on EMDR principles and different, you know, so you use certain frequencies so that the person is more susceptible to the EMDR process, mm -hmm. right? And so that's the uh, other one that uh, I like. Uh, Huberman is, he's a scientist, that's for sure, he, all the time, but that he describes it in a way that I, I really like a lot. Uh, yeah. He says that there is a fear circuit in mm -hmm. place. Yeah. And he says that using a technique like this and maybe other similar ones, that you can activate the courage circuit. And so these are the, in, in the contemporary sense, although what I do has a lot of these elements built into it, it's not brain entrainment, it's not randomized, it's something different, that we've got these two recognitions that make change hard. Mm -hmm. One is stubborn habituation, however you get there. This is probably, who knows, it's efficient, you're lazy, whatever. But yeah. the other is the, and it's by degree, whether there's in the Library of Congress up here in, in the neocortex, that there is an impression that these things are not safe anymore because mm -hmm. of that threat. So these are the two things, right? How to stick an unstuck brain. Mm -hmm. And the other is how to activate the courage circuit. So, you know, against a more generalized background, and I could talk a blah, 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 blah about yeah. that. But that, like, it's like, wait a minute, you know, because I, I, the neurovisor, I've given it this, I don't know what it's called, byline or slogan. I call it the change maker. Yeah. Because uh, I think, well, I thought it was funny and cool. So whatever. But, you know, but yeah. it's also true. 
Yes. That if you can't change, I mean, healing is about change. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And change. I, I thought like everybody is like, wow, that'd be so cool. It's a change maker. Then I realized some people don't want to change. Some yeah. people are afraid of change. I thought, well, I better rethink that a little bit. Yeah. So up comes that thing. Those two things is that even if you want it, you may not know how to do it. So how to change to me has become more important than the need for change. Because the need for change is kind of idealistic and abstract. But yes. then there's the practicality. Yeah. Like, how, yeah. how do you do that? And the first thing is recognize there can be a belief system normally based on trauma that is hardwired and reflexive. The other is habituation happens. The brain can just get conveniently stuck. Mm-hmm. where it is. Now, there's something else I'll say, but I'm going to stop and let you say yeah, something, or ask a question. No, I mean, you know, so like, how does that strike you? You're a practitioner. Yeah. You know, people come to you because something's got to change. Yeah, yeah. You know, I am sitting with it. And, you know, it's fascinating. And, you know, I think that this is the biggest obstacle when you think about it, you know, there can be this, you know, like how to cross that gap, like I have some information to share, the patient is willing, but you know, why, you know, do some people like not change as fast, right? Or are just, you know, we say, you know, we keep talking about the same things. And what, you know, what you're saying makes is beautiful. And a lot of people don't know how their brain works, right? (laughs) You know, I don't think I know either. I have some ideas. Totally. I mean, I'm, you know, I, (laughs) exactly. But I mean, even just these, you know, foundation principles. Competition. Your brain... It's Never always been competing. Yeah. And what I, I liked what you said, you know, you have to soften the brain in order to change. And then no, I say soften the glue. I don't like, yeah, know yeah, the soft of, brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Soften the honey. So in, in my world, so I have a lot of patients who are traumatized, right? So they're traumatized, the A score, the just life, you know, and then they have the trauma of being sick and being, you know, gaslit and just, you know, maligned and not believed and all the things. So, you know, that part of the brain we often talk about, you know, so in my my tools up until, you know, knowing about the neurovisor have been referring people to EMDR, right? There's also a conversation about what we say limbic retraining, which, you know, mm, yeah, it works for some, doesn't work for a lot, you know, psychedelics, right? Yep. So okay. Microdosing and, you know, guided psychedelic therapy or like, you know, going to like a Joe Dispenza retreat, kind of like intense, yeah. you know, meditation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, I'm too, I have too many opinions, so I have to. I don't want, I don't want enemies. Are you crazy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm joking. So, yeah, sort of. So that's been my like, you know, toolkit. Like when okay. people like to uh, give yeah. people all the knowledge plus the support to change. So okay, okay, I'll, I'm going to hit you with this. Please uh, psychedelic research. I'm a fan of entropic brain theory, anarchic brain theory. Car, you know, Carhart Harris and Friston, like crazily, he's like a crystalline genius. This guy, mm-hmm. and you know, all so to skip over huge piles of gold here. There's an acronym that has come out of the collaboration between Carhartt, Harris, and Friston. And it's a, not a perfect acronym, but I'm going to modify it. The, uh, you probably heard about it. It's called REBUS, like a bus, a school bus, RE, REBUS. And the principle is to relax existing beliefs using psychedelics. So they, they didn't do REBUP, so they used the second letter of psychedelics, yeah. right? REBUS. And it's the recognition that, oh, it's synthesized. Our brain is normalized to be able to live in two different neurological zones. One is common, Carhart Harris called entropic brain, they call it secondary consciousness. And to regularly, but not for sustained periods, enter into a less structured aspect of function. They call it primary consciousness. So Regular consciousness is the patterned predictive brain that refers the past to predict the future. It has no access to the present moment. The old brain, the bottom up, only knows the present 
doesn't. It like forgets just about everything, and it has no idea about the future if it really works well. So these two things interrelate with each other so that you think your perceptions are true. However, our perceptions are filtered by the top-down pattern. You know, we have confirmation bias. And that isn't just about like a belief, although it is psychological. It's even how I walk downstairs. It's it's at a motor level. And my, that's why my glass thing is like fill in the blanks glasses. Now I go down, I walk downstairs like an old man, meaning I'm hesitant, right? Well, no, it's, you know, well, I'm getting older, but it's because I can't trust what I see. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. So, Rebus, the less structured, the more informative aspect of the brain is normal. It's natural. Mm-hmm. Just because we visit it in an uncommon way, just because it's uncommon doesn't make it abnormal. Mm-hmm. This is very, very important because there's a suspicion about mm-hmm. it. And this is one of the main things that the common person can learn in relation to psychedelics is that, I mean, they're generally speaking highly reliable and you end up going into a normal aspect of the brain that that you don't visit often. It's not abnormal. Mm -hmm. It's just what it does. It's that aspect of neurological processing where the information that comes to us is less biased. Mm-hmm. And we have all these connections that take place in an unusual way. And hopefully we can harvest something mm-hmm. like the hero's journey, because that's what it is. Yeah. And br- bring back from this primary consciousness, something of value to secondary consciousness. Now you've got some way to change. So I've modified the acronym Rebus. And when I say belief, belief could be belief like a thought happened, it could be a, a habit, it could be a behavior. It's a neurological process that is self-reinforcing. So the mm-hmm. acronym, as I interpret it, is relax, existing beliefs, using something. Mm, got it. I like something, that. <laughs> right? So not even the S works now. So And the thing is, is that there are a number of ways of doing that, some easier, some harder. So one of the main things that I've done in the variety of neurovisor sessions, because they are somewhat dedicated to certain probability outcomes, is softening the glue. That the, a psychedelic, okay, another one I use frequently, so apologies. You order something online, you want it. Do you really care whether it's FedEx or DHL that brings it to the door? No. You open up, there's my package, I open it up. So the FedEx, DHL, those are agents. Mm. But what's the action that you want? You want access to your package. So understand that this uncommon but totally normal capacity of the brain to loosen up is innate. Mm -hmm. It is so innate, it's biological. It is so biological, we have to, and I'll use the word, carefully crazy, but I don't mean like crazy, like bad crazy, but just more open-minded. It happens three or four times every circadian cycle. Hmm. It's biological, it's innate. You know, there are four basic aspects to our circadian cycle. Generally, there's waking and there's sleeping. In the sleeping, you have sleeping dreams. In the waking, you have waking dreams. Our culture doesn't even give us any sense, like, what is a sleeping dream? Well, it's a huge resolution dynamic that happens. We don't even teach our kids about the fourth state of waking dreams, Mm. where you go into deep conscious relaxation, and you're in that untethered world, you know, the hypnagogic, hypnopompic, you know, the transitional thing. And what's wild is, you can learn how to do it in a waking state, Unfortunately, here's the bad news. It involves deep conscious relaxation. Mm-hmm. We medicate a lot of people out of that. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. you can screw up any animal 
You can torture them, you can kill them, including the human animal, when you chronically deprive them of the normal biological circadian rhythms. Mm -hmm. And I say that we have a fourth state deficiency syndrome. Mm -hmm. The fourth state being the waking dreams. So if you take out any, if you don't let a person stay awake, you don't let them sleep, you don't let them dream, I don't care. Uh, you know, one of the first uh, expressions in this syndrome, commonly, the, the ones that's most easy to recognize, is sleep disturbance. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. because like, if you don't sleep, what about your waking state, right? And if you can't stay awake, what about your, you know, like nothing is working Yeah. because the circadian cycle is off. So I believe it's a, it's really important to understand that a rigid, stabilized, highly predictive state has advantages and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's why I like the, uh, from the Huberman thing, uh, activate the courage circuit. That's specifically for the trauma, traumatized folks. And most of us have some amount of that. Yeah. And then the other is learning how to soften the glue of habituation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like effort, 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 time, 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 disappointment, disappointment against expectation. So that excites me a lot. Yeah. Because if you don't change the heavyweight hammer, you know, adapt or die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. You know, it's yeah. as serious as that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it. I'm really passionate that, you know, I think a lot of, you know, not only Americans, but globally, our brains are in trouble, you know, in a lot of ways. And I feel, you know, my, my patients don't have enough tools, as you mentioned, and, you know, this courage circuit, what parts of the brain is that? Or is that just kind of creating new networks? And no, I, I think it's, I think you can borrow comfortably and accurately from the, well, there are three different theories as to why EMDR works. And, you know, one is psychological, one is circadian, and one is Huberman's, you know, walking straight forward into the savanna. And, you know, so it doesn't matter. The fact is, is that neurologically alternating bilateral eye movement is linked into that amygdala limbic network. And mm -hmm. it does really seem mostly for more specific traumas and not like a period of long trauma you know that not because you had a, a bad marriage for 15 years as much as you were assaulted or there was something you know the emdr seems to be better suited for more targeted trauma yeah. seeds mm -hmm. so that thing apparently and it's reasonably well validated it's been on 40 years and the science has been pursuing it it decreases the the sensitivity threshold of the amygdala mm -hmm. so that that thing, you know, okay. Uh, I, I live up in Thailand in the mountain forest and, and so on. And uh, I'll use an example. I mean, it happens. So it's easy to remember. Uh, yeah. I like, I love animals a lot. I'm not particularly fond of snakes. Yeah. Okay. That's not uncommon. So mm -hmm. I'm walking through, I can't call it a garden because I like the wilds. But so I'm walking through my land. I look down and say, like, Oh, a snake. And then, Second sight, I look down again, like, oh, you know, and it's an old garden hose. Mm. Right? So we have to understand that people, especially significant trauma, PTSD, that it's not, they can't think their way out of it. It's too late. Yeah. That when something comes in from bottom up, it's virginal information, may actually even be really helpful information yeah. mm -hmm. because it in some way is a dissociative memory mm -hmm. the threat alarm goes off and that new information never makes it up into the neocortex for aspects of resolution mm -hmm. so if that's secure if that amygdala security guard can be kind of locked into the closet or sedated or something to allow the purity of the bottom-up information to reach higher levels of cognition, what happens is that thing that was a very powerful trigger, because it's not even the actual trauma, it's yeah. something related to the trauma, that emotional response, that reflex is calmed down. And now this the purity of the bottom-up experience becomes more factual and more actual. 
So in that, that means, oh, huh, you know, I I thought snakes were like incredibly dangerous. Now I realize, well, some are, it's good to be cautious, but I shouldn't be so phobic about snakes or garden hoses for that matter. So, you know, this process is adaptive towards survival because otherwise that person's world gets smaller and smaller and to the point agoraphobic, they can't even leave their house or their apartment because what? Everything becomes a trigger. Yes. Yes. So that that's one of the beauties of rebus in whatever form it takes. You know, something can be psychedelic, meaning mind manifesting, without being a psychedelic compound. Mm-hmm. So I use the word psychedelic as an adjective, not as a noun. Yeah. And the psychedelic, the open-minded, associative, information-rich, kind of wonderful, or maybe very scary zone, is a chance to reorder incorrect behaviors and patterns. It's an opportunity. Every culture more or less does this. We all go crazy at least once a year as a culture. Call it Mardi Gras, call it Carnival, call it Halloween. You yeah. know, built into us like we need to let go right right once in a while yeah yeah and every 24 hours we need to do it minimally three or four times every i mean it is so biologically required that it's built into our circadian rhythm yeah that's, I mean, that's how important it is yeah no thank you for educating me on that because i hadn't ever you know heard in this way and yeah. i a lot about like circadian biology from all the other perspectives. So this is fascinating. And then you think about like our culture and society, you know, we don't really give space for that, you know, during the day as much. No, no, we are against it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we we beat it out of people, right? <laughs> you know, and you, you, know, you lazy ass, you know what yeah. are you doing? Meditating bullshit. You're just sleepy. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then there's you know the insomniacs, right? We have a culture of insomnia, and you know I have many patients with insomnia, and I feel like you know yes, biochemistry, all the things, but it's a very you know I I didn't know or plan to design the sessions with the neurovisor in such a way to enable better sleep. Yeah. I mean, that's what I want to talk about. Well, I, I did. Mine was like how to make the brain change. It's gone through a lot of evolution yeah. and it still is evolving in an exciting way. Like I'm going to tell you two things that are probably not good for marketing. Yes. Yeah. One, one is I didn't know it was going to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, yeah. that's number one. And number two, and this is like the killer. Well, there are some that are better than others. I mean, that's the truth. But I'll say it in a little bit like a funny or dramatic way. It almost doesn't matter what session you use. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think it's giving people time to enter into that fourth state, the so-called waking dream. Because hypnagogia is moving from waking to sleep, hypnopompia the other way. But parahypnagogia, which is finally getting attention, is during the waking time, your waking dreams can become more lucid that you can actually learn to do it in the way that sleeping dreams can be more lucid. Waking dreams can be more lucid. That beautiful, and if you want to get like, it's not really tight like this, but that low alpha, high theta state where you're not sleeping, but you're not in a typical, you know, executive mode task. They're in that beautiful bridging zone. That's not a mistake. Mm-hmm. That's not a mistake. I mean, there are a lot of examples. Famously, Edison put ball bearings in his hand during the day and would rest. And when he would rest and relax enough, the ball bearings would hit the floor and it would alert him okay, what were you thinking? What were you seeing? There's a huge reservoir of creativity there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you practice it, you know, you, you see, you know, the, the lights start to come and your breathing changes and you start to see images and beautiful thoughts come and all of that. That's the nature. That's the characteristic of that. Like, you know, these are characteristic states. Mm. And that people ask me, like, how do you know how to do all this stuff? Well, okay, I'm smart, educated. I research like all the time. That's not enough. Yeah. In my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. another, I don't know if it's a secret anymore. I saw it a couple of times, but I get 
repeatedly evolving creative information from while I'm in the session. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because one of the fundamental elements of the style of brain awakening or manipulation is it gets you cozy into that unstructured, information-rich, hypnagogic state Mm -hmm. as just an underlying foundational dynamic. Then you get more specific as to which one you're doing and for what purpose. But, you know, I'll call it blessings because I'll use that word. I I don't, you know, where, how, who, I won't bother with that. But I feel like it's something that is received, Mm -hmm. not something that I make up or like I under... I understand it after yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That, no, I, that, I appreciate that's attractive, right? Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that. And I understand that we can't, we're not going to get into naming all of that, but that receptive mode, I mean, that connection with the unified field or whatever we're <laughs> I know, I know. calling it. Yeah. It's so dangerous to call it something anymore. Well, I don't want to. So the divine, you know, there's so many. Yeah, names. yeah. Let's just call it life, you know. Yeah, know. yeah, but I mean, I think that's that's the key there, though, Garnet, right? Yeah, yeah. The receptive mode, right? You know, yeah. we go through life trying to control life and not receive from life. I think we have another powerful, almost invisible influence. Yeah. Western culture does anyway. Eastern is different. You know, I live in the or I've loved Asia. It's always been comfortable for me. But yeah. I think... When it comes to bottom-up information, being open-minded, I'll say we. Mm -hmm. We have an underlying suspicion about the body. Mm -hmm. We're not schooled to trust sensual subjective embodied experience. We're rationalists, reductionists. You know, it's gotta, we gotta think it out before because you know the, the body, it's this temptation, you know, it's disease, it's, you know, all the the, the very Cartesian kind of duality. And I think that for any of us that want to change our mind, we have to include and reference the body as a whole, because the body as the whole is the brain. Yes. You know, the brain is physical. It's totally weird. And I understand Cartesian, you know, body, mind, visible, invisible, all platonic, all over us here. But that, you know, working in healing of the mind involves the body. And if it doesn't, I don't think it's going to work very well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think it's a big part of being human, right? You know, yeah. we, we came here to encourage- So how, how, how do you, I'm going to interview you for yeah. <laughs> four minutes. How do you relax in existing beliefs using something? Do you recognize that it has to be, you have to soften the glue because what you know, you know that they say, you know, seeing is believing. No, it's actually believing is seeing that what you expect and what is important is the way you're going to interpret your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this was a big part of my learning curve over the last three years. I, I mean, I had the typical... I got sued. I had a brain tumor. I, you know, like all the things. Wow. Wow. Um, like I mean? Two of the things yeah. next to, next to an audit that freak most people out. No, I got, I went, I mean, hopefully wow. this is the big, you know, a kind of transformation time in my mm. life, but I'm sure mm. there are more. So I, I just say that. So I was searching, you know what I mean? I've always right. been really into exploring consciousness yeah. and the connection between consciousness and the body and how the body is a barometer for our conscious experience and why do people stay sick when there's all this healing energy around us right you know like i mm. you know so it really you know life guided me to go deeper you know into meditative states and group mm-hmm. healing and exploring you know these capacities but i i make time every day like i i wake up i have a four and a half year old and even if she wakes up you know, if she knows mom, say no more yeah she's, she's meditating you know so she knows i'm meditating like if she wakes yeah. up early and she'll just come and be quiet and she knows that mommy's mm-hmm. meditating and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes she'll make fun of me or sometimes she'll crawl on me or whatever mm-hmm. but you know but my I, I'll either do guided meditation, my own mm-hmm. meditation, and now I'm doing the neurovisor, which I love. I, mm-hmm. I you know, and I'll I'll even do so that, like when I put her for her quiet time, mm-hmm. I'll, which she needs or her. We see that you know the rest mm-hmm. of 
even if she's not sleeping. So that quiet time, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Young people teach us that we need it, but I'll like need to write something or a presentation. I've been Mm -hmm. a neurovisor, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's it's amazing how it does when like, it might not even be in the moment, but even right after, like Mm -hmm. something just comes through, you know, you're like, that was Two, two, two things. One, people seem to disbelieve where I say repeatedly, the real effects of a session begin when the light and sound end. Yeah, I know. It's hi- so- that hyperplastic yeah. period. It's a, it's, a, it's a neurological state. Yeah. It's called hyperplasticity. Yeah. And I always say it's like enjoying a great meal when the eating finishes, the digestion begins. Yes, yes. Like that. So yeah. you, you yeah, say no, more. I, yeah. I have more but you say more. No, no, no. I, I, I love that you said that. And, you know, I love that it's, you know, again, very, this is like so accessible, you know, with our time, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that like, if people are intimidated by meditation or, you know, okay. they're struggling, like this is such an accessible tool and it's such a beautiful tool. Okay. I, I love the experience. I love the experience. I'm trying to say of the yeah. neuron. Okay. It feels like a massage of my <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, Listen, I Christine, okay, we're gonna, we have to do more of this at another time because we both are like excitable children. We start to get close to the experience element. Yeah. Meditation. Meditation is not one thing any more than exercise is one thing, right? Yeah. I say it, but there's there are all kinds of exercises for different purposes, different goals and outcomes. Yeah. People say, well, this helps me meditate. Understand yeah. that that is true but it is not precisely true because you're not defining what yes. type of meditation. Yes. Okay. For example, these days, everybody talks about mindfulness a lot, you know, the, yeah. the sort of Westernized Vipassana process and neurologically, and, and this is you know reasonably well studied right now and it's being pursued because it's the most common accessible way of introducing meditation into a Western society. Mm-hmm. The beginning practitioners, when they do it, it is a neurological top-down process. It's a controlled, deterministic process, neurologically. You learn, well, actually, shamanta comes first, but you learn by determination to do something, a certain type of focus, a certain type of thing. It's the same thing in guided imagery. This is a top-down neurological thing that is based on past experience and future expectation. Over time... People that stay with it, and depending on their regularity and so on, over time, it changes. Mm -hmm. It becomes a bottom-up experience where awareness is not determined by focus or decision. Mm. It's the purity of, I mean, what's, I mean, Akratole here, it's the purity of experience right now. Unmanipulated, undetermined experience. So when you say to use the neurovisor for meditation, it can fit into this spectrum. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there are some traditions generally called non-dual traditions. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, I mean, they work with the ventral attention network and the beginners work with the dorsal attention network. Mm-hmm. So basically, I see, and I think we're looking at the time that you predicted, that the neurovisor, I see it like uh, everybody's best friend. That yeah. I, I I don't see it as being competitive to other processes mm-hmm. or other therapies or even other devices. Yeah, that, yeah, I that, love it. That if you use it as a like a priming process, mm-hmm. whatever you do that works will work better. I can say that. And yeah. that that's a huge advantage. Not like for a person in practice, you'd like a medical practitioner, even or or whatever, even a person's habits. Mm-hmm. If you want what you do to work better, mm-hmm. do the neurovisor as part of what you do. Do it as a brain priming thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, neurofeedback, things work better. HRV works better. Like this is like weird. Why? Because you're liberating the brain into its problem solving, information rich zone mm-hmm. for a period long enough that then. Secondary consciousness has a lot more to work with. To me, that's really good. You know, whatever you do, it'll be better. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. And we're going to do a part B. I, I want to do a part B. I'm <laughs> Listen, there are 26 that. letters in the alphabet, okay? <laughs> we're going to do different, you know, we'll continue the conversation. I'm, I'm actually going to do a master class on this topic of coherence, just because that's kind of like a yep. thing. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's in the trend. <laughs> yeah, right. So I just, you know, I'm going to interview you for that, if that's okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You know, I, I think it's evident. Yeah, we can talk. Good or bad, I like talking, so that's okay. Yeah, no, no, I love listening. You've taught me a lot today, which I'm so grateful for. And I know that listeners are too. And I really encourage people who are out there who are listening, who are curious, like, please check out the Neurovisor. We have Neurovisor.com, which flips to to Neurovisor.us. It's the same site, it's just regionalized. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch. You know, it's like, they got me to talk a lot and put it on video and it's in there. And Yeah, no, your site is beautiful. The app, I saw the new oh, thank app you. I'm excited yeah. about. It's yeah. awesome. And, and you're doing a lot of these conversations and you even mentioned, you know, you're in these, you know, um, the magazine, Biohacking. Yeah. Biohack, biohackers magazine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Somebody gave them a pill, but they gave me a whole special edition. Yeah. Just so okay. please, yeah, please check that out. Uh, biohackersmagazine.com. They're very nice people. Really good people. Well, we, we need you now, Garnett, and we need this. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you inventing uh, at the perfect time. Uh, uh, thank you, because it's, it's truly my pleasure. And, you know, I've been stupid a lot in my life, and finally I, I've what realize that the the creative act and the healing act are inherently divine. And it depends on how you adjust your headspace around that. But if you can do good things creatively that help people, you you're winning. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. Yeah. Christine, it's a pleasure to meet you and be with you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Garnet Dupuis. If you want to find out more about the Neurovisor and Garnet, please check out the show notes. And I really stand by the Neurovisor. It's something that has really been an amazing addition to my practice and my lifestyle. And you can check out with the special code Dr. Christine and save on the Neurovisor. I really love this technology and I look forward to using it each day that I set up a session. So check it out, change your brain, you know, open your mind. And I cannot wait to hear feedback from you how it has done that. Have a beautiful day.